You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for November 29th, 2020, the first Sunday of Advent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Justin Crisp. It's relatively easy, I think, for us as modern Americans to believe the aphorism made famous first well, not technically first, but most of us know it through Kanye and Kelly Clarkson, but it actually came first from Friedrich Nietzsche. What does not kill me makes me stronger. It comports well enough with American dreamlike stories that we celebrate in our culture. Those of people who overcame poverty, illness, adversity, or failure, eventually to attain success over the long haul. If you spend 30 minutes watching the vignettes that introduce any contestant on Dancing with the Stars or The Masked Singer or American Idol, you'll see what I mean. Most of them start out like an old country song. My my wife left me, I lost my job, my dog died, my truck stopped running, I didn't have nothing but me and my guitar, etc., etc., etc. But now I'm on prime right now singing to you, and we all cheer and applaud and cry. I suspect that we're so enamored with these stories, not just because most Americans have read Nietzsche. I, I don't think that's a safe bet. But I think that most Americans, like Nietzsche, value endurance. And by extension, we value tests of our endurance. Tests by which we prove to ourselves and to others what we're really made of. We're unlikely to go as far as Nietzsche himself did in actively embracing suffering, even wishing it for ourselves and those whom we love. We're unlikely to go as far as Nietzsche did in celebrating suffering, but we're still likely to share his diagnosis of the problem and his solution. That the fundamental problem with human beings is that we are weak. And the way to fix it is by exercising our strength in the crucible of struggle and trial until we can grow up like proud trees tested by the practice of difficult storms. The trouble from our perspective as Christians, is that this take on suffering is good only as far as it goes. It's true only as far as it goes. Christianity being concerned foremost, not with suffering of the kind you can say, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger, but the kind that just straight up kills you. Christians do not profess faith in an abstract God some impersonal force or energy or a nameless first cause of everything. Rather, we profess faith in a God who has a story, a God whom we get to know as a character, as it were, as a player, not just in Scripture, but in our lives. The season of Advent is about how those stories end, about the so-called last day, about which Reverend Elizabeth prayed in today's opening collect, as well as the crucial plot twist 
that makes the end of those stories possible. God's becoming flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Christians believe that the 30-something year life and death and resurrection of this first century Jewish man is the key to understanding who the God of the universe is, as well as the key to understanding who we are. That what happened in those 33 years was somehow the climax of the human story. Indeed, the indispensable, irreversible turning point of the story of the whole universe. And the God in whom Christians believe willed to turn the plot of that story, not only in the middle of nowhere, not only through the lives of nobodies in particular, but in the middle of the night. I've been obsessed recently with the fact that Jesus was born at night. The Gospels, admittedly, don't make it quite as clear as the carols do, okay? Like Silent Night, No Holy Night. But the Gospel of Luke, in particular, suggests that when Mary's labor was over, the angel appeared to shepherds who were attending their flocks by night, in the words of the King James, uh, which most of us are familiar with from Linus in uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas. There's something astonishingly appropriate about... Jesus being born at night, though, I think. It's resonance with the night on which Jesus was betrayed, which we are about to celebrate a moment, in a moment, in the Eucharist. Or the darkness that gathered over Golgotha during Jesus' crucifixion and death. Or the darkness that Jesus says in our gospel this morning will spread over the whole earth at his coming as the Son of Man. Or the darkness with which the gospel of John begins. The one in which the light shines, which has never overcome the light. And that's part of what I love so much about our God, that it accords with God's personality, as it were, to come at night to intervene when the hour is late and the struggle has been long and to turn the plot where we least expect it in those people and places and occasions we least suspect God to be at work. And that, I think, is the Christian answer to Friedrich Nietzsche, the American cowboy version or otherwise, that the fundamental human problem is not weakness, but sin and death. Forces we not only bring upon ourselves, but by which we are actively oppressed. And that the way to fix them is not by embracing suffering and trials as though they were weights in a gym, but rather by embracing them as occasions of God's presence and power. Darknesses God gradually makes his own, and in which he makes his light to shine, like the star which guided the Magi to Jesus' cradle. Each of our earthly trials, each betrayal and catastrophe and failure and demise, being a tiny, tiny cross made in the image of his, in which the light of the resurrection will eventually shine. 
It is not our endurance that is the point. It's God's. God's endurance in all and through all. God who upon coming into whatever earthly night we might be experiencing does, I think, three things. First, makes the night his own by joining us in it and giving us the gift of his company as we undergo whatever it is. Second, makes it his own by joining our trial to his, to his trial on the cross and giving our suffering a share in the redemption of the world he wrought thereby. And third, makes it his own by owning its end, that is, by setting our cross, whatever it may be, en route to the resurrection with which his ended. No one can or should make meaning of your suffering for you. It's up to each of us, I think, to discern in prayer how God may or may not be involved in whatever trial or sorrow or struggle it is that has befallen us. Beyond the biblical assurance we have that being crucified with Christ, God does not leave us alone in our suffering. And nor does God leave our suffering alone, purposeless or unending. But what I do know is this, that our God loves night. I don't know why, but he does. And I know that he is able to shine his light upon situations that seem to us to be completely unredeemable and hopeless. And that the promise of our religion is not that whatever doesn't kill us will make us stronger, but that when whatever hasn't yet killed us eventually does, God will endure. To riff on the old hymn, I believe the God of Jesus Christ can make all of your nights divine.
sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.